This is The Drive with Dale Lally and Matt Williamson on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. SNR. Steelers Nation Radio. Welcome to The Drive. I'm Dale Lally here with Matt Williamson as usual, and uh, we are pleased to be joined today by uh, a gentleman who usually joins us at the NFL Scouting Combine. Of course, that didn't happen this year, uh, but uh, we've got Greg Cosell of the, uh, of course, NFL Films in the NFL Matchup Show. And he's also doing a, a new thing this year with Fantasy Points Draft Guide. It's going to be available soon here uh, where he'll be breaking down uh, guys uh, for the, this year's draft. And, uh, of course, we want to talk to Greg a lot about this year's draft, as we do at the Combine usually. Uh, but how you doing, Greg? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? We're we are fun. fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's great to talk to you. And my buddy Ross Tucker always introduces you as the greatest film guru among <laughs> civilians. So I, I like that intro, too. <laughs> uh, that's because I'm crazy and I just sit here and watch far too much tape, you know. Just for 41 <laughs> years in a row, huh? Well, I haven't been doing it all, for all 41, but uh, yeah, I just finished my 41st season here at NFL Films. Uh, probably been watching college tape, I'm trying to think, for a good amount of time. I can't remember exactly how long, but it's been a while. Yep. Well, let's let's get right to it, Greg. First, we want to talk a, a little bit about the Steelers and their situation um, bringing Ben Roethlisberger back this year, uh, what, in your mind, what do the Steelers need to do with Ben Roethlisberger for him to be successful, or can they be successful with, with him in 2021? You know, it's really fascinating because uh, normally when you watch a team's offense, you you kind of know how they see their players because coaches tell you what they think of their players by what they do. Um, and the Steelers this year were, were very interesting from a passing game standpoint because obviously they did not run the ball a lot. They threw it by choice an awful lot. But it was how they threw it. Every once in a while they might throw a vertical route, but for the most part everything was quick. Short passes, quick game, the ball got out. So I guess the question is did they do that because of Ben? Did they do that because of their offensive line? But at the end of the day, that's what they did. That's what the tape shows. It's not an interpretation, guys. You know this. It's what the tape shows. So are they, is their offense going to look the same next year? Uh, that's hard to know. Obviously, Ben's going to be the quarterback. Uh, they do have vertical threats at the wide receiver position. Are they going to try to uh, attack more intermediate and vertically? If they do, then they're going to need to shore up their offensive line. If they're going to play the same kind of offense that they did a year ago, my sense is they would need to run the ball with a little more consistency and a little more volume. Greg, do you agree it's not to the same level. I mean, to me, Ben is one of the all-time great throwers of the football. But I still think he shows enough that he can make arm strength throws, you know, deep digs. They just they don't do it much, but you right. see it a handful of times a game or, you know, here and there. I think it's still in him. Yeah, so I guess the question would then be, why didn't they do more? Right, right. I mean, ultimately, that would be the question. Um, I can't answer that. You probably can't either. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that their offense became very stagnant. It became very condensed. Um, 
And if you can't run the ball, you get stuck in a situation where you're asking Roethlisberger to have to drop back 40-plus times a game by choice. I'm not sure they really want to do that. Maybe they do. I don't know. I mean, obviously, they're going to have a new offensive coordinator. I don't know if the offense is going to change. But when all said and done, uh, there's going, in, in my view, I know there's big debates now about the run game and whether it has any meaning whatsoever. That, that's, that's a whole other debate. But I think that they do need to run the ball with more volume and more success uh, with, what, with what they're going to put out there. Yeah, I, I think to your point there, you know, people uh, discredit the run game, which I get it, uh, you know, in terms of, of the, you know, all the analytics and everything. It's great, you know, and that's fine until you can't run the ball or you don't have right. a running game. Right. Well, they discredit the run thing. game because of the, the reality, of course, is that more explosive plays come out of the pass game than the run game. And the league basically has trended toward explosive plays. Offensively, you're trying to create them. Defensively, you're trying to prevent them. That's what the league theoretically is, is, is explosive plays. And the run game does not give you anywhere near the number of explosive plays percentage-wise. So we'll see. But your, your point's exactly right. The run game doesn't matter until you can't run it at all. And there's a lot of reasons why the Steelers' run game hasn't been successful. I mean, they haven't stuck with it. They're not moving bodies off the line of scrimmage as well as right. they did back in the day. People are crowding the line of scrimmage because they don't fear the deep ball. And I know to take that, you know, the running game doesn't matter. And then you hear, well, running backs don't matter at all. You never never invest in them. But, boy, the ball carriers here over the last couple years have really been a detriment to me. Yeah, you know, I thought James Conner would, would be a good back. And he had that stretch this season, what, it was four or five games early in the season. I think he gained 100 yards in three or four of them. There was some volume to his running. I think in that stretch he averaged about 18 carries a game. Then he got hurt, and the run game kind of went away. Um, and, again, now you get into play calling and concepts, and those are hard questions to answer. But the bottom line is now we've got some issues on the offensive line. Pouncey's retired. You know, the interior of the O-line, with the exception of DeCastro, I guess those are question marks to some degree right now. Um, so we will see how they approach the offense this year. Uh, you know, I'm not a big believer. It's, it, it, again, without getting into the whole run game discussion, I think it's hard. And Ben's past the point where he's really a second reaction quarterback. Can he do it every once in a while? Yes. But it's very hard, in my view, to throw the ball 40-plus times a game by choice in this league because of the defenses. Now, if everything's going to be quick game, hey, that's fine. The ball comes out. But then it's very hard to really – sustain your offense just throwing quick game throws also so what's the balance there's there's no definitive answer to that it's not a quantifiable thing every team has to figure that out so uh, that's why i'm just not sure what they to think their offense will look like this year well greg to to moving on to the draft here which one of those things is easier or is the quicker fix do, do in, terms the, of, in terms of the offensive line or the running back can, can the running back make the offensive line better or vice versa? Is there one? Is there a better way to do that? Do you build the offensive line first and, and, and the running backs will get their yards, or do you build? Do you get the running back and then build it that way? 
Well, it's funny. I was told years and years ago, and I'm sure the analytics people will say this is absolutely false, but I was told this by coaches, that the running back makes the running game, not the offensive line. Um, now, obviously, you've got a terrible offensive line that's different, but assuming your offensive line is is good enough and you have some kind of commitment to running the ball, whatever that means, and that'll be team-specific, then you can have success if you have a quality back. Um, so uh, my guess is the Steelers would probably be in the market for a back. Um, I don't know what Matt Canada's whole point of view is, what his you know worldview of offense is, um, if he spent a lot of time talking about it. Um, I, I'm being honest, I don't know what time. We haven't talked to him it. at all yet this year. We had him once on yeah. a conference call this year. <laughs> that was yeah, it. So I don't... <laughs> I don't know, you know, what his whole worldview is, given the personnel. Um, you know, I guess Smith Schuster's a free agent, right? Correct, yes. yes. And he was not tagged. Not Correct. tagged. All right, but still, they've got weapons. I mean, they have three guys who are vertical threats in, in Johnson, Washington, and Claypool. So they have players who can stretch the field and cause defenses to have to defend a certain way because the last thing defenses want is to be beaten over the top. So uh, we'll see where they go with the run game, but uh, you know, I think that, uh, to me, a really, really good back can – can give you a run game. Now, does that mean he's going to run 60 yards for a touchdown? No. But you don't, backs don't necessarily have to do that to be good backs. Along those lines, I mean, that certainly leads where we really want to talk to you about, and that's some of these, these incoming running backs in the draft. Najee Harris has been linked to the Steelers a lot by mock drafters out there. Uh, Javante Williams' name comes up on this show by us a ton. Um, I know you've watched Williams. I assume you've watched Harris. What do you think of oh, those yeah. two? Yeah. I mean, to me, if we start with Najee Harris, see, to me, Harris is a volume runner. To me, Harris is not a guy you give the ball to seven or eight times. I think he's a volume runner. The question for me with Harris is whether he is truly a three-down back in the NFL. We saw in college that he had excellent hands. He ran a variety of routes in Alabama's offense. Um, but his body type does not necessarily convict fit the conventional mold of the third down receiving back, which doesn't mean he can't do it. It's just normally you don't see third down receiving backs built, you know, who are 6'2", 230. Um, but, I, you know, I think based on his skill set and his traits, he's a volume back. He's, he, you have to give him the football. That's the way he, he that's what he is. So, if you draft him, it would seem to me you're making a commitment to run the football. And what's your thoughts on Williams? I know you're a fan. I am a fan. I, I Again, I think you could make the argument that he's the number one back in this draft in terms of just running. Music you know, to my ears. He's not <laughs> – you know, the receiving part, I think, is a work in progress with him. Um, and, and you have to be fair. That's what the tape tells you. Um, but I think when you look at his size, his compact build, he has patience, he has vision, he's got subtle lateral quickness and confined space, he's got burst, he's got speed, he's got natural power, he might have as good a contact balance as I've seen in a while. His, his, his ability to run through and break tackles is really, really good. He's physical, he finishes, he's competitive. To me, he's a sustaining back that does give you big plays because he's got speed as well. So, uh, again, uh, he, to me, 
and I know he shared a workload in college with Michael Carter, but I think when all said and done, do you have to give it to him 20 times a game? No, but you're also, if you draft Javante Williams, you're not drafting him with the idea that you're going to give it to him eight times a week. Right, and that's the that's the thing that you know they just have to stick with it. I, I think, and I, I went back and looked at this a couple of weeks ago, when the Steelers had Le'Veon Bell the last year, last full year that they had Le'Veon Bell and Ben Roethlisberger, they ranked fifteen in rushing, fifteenth in rushing attempts. The last two years without with full years with Roethlisberger and no Bell, they've been 29th and thirty second. Right. I, I think it, it it's a lack of confidence in the in the run in the running backs. Uh, well, the, the other thing about the running game, too, is, as, as you guys know, the run game is, is about patience because you get a lot of one-yard runs and two-yard runs, and sometimes you get a minus one. And it's very easy as a play caller, particularly when you design pass plays and people do more and more now with pass game concepts, with motion, with jet sweep action, with orbit reverse action, with all kinds of motions. So... Um, I think people feel, hey, why run it when there's a chance on any given play for a big chunk play? But a run game is about patience. And now not a lot of coaches in this world, particularly younger coaches coming up through the ranks where there's more big plays in high school and college, not a lot of coaches, I think, are willing to be patient with the run game. That makes a lot of sense. And – a quarterback I wanted to ask you about. Have you watched Mac Jones yet? And if so, what do you I think? have watched Mac Jones. I oh, yeah, I've so. watched all the quarterbacks. Okay, yeah. I figured he did that first. I mean, what do you think? I mean, a lot of these Rosen, Haskins, quote, not great athletes have struggled earlier in their career. But he's such a quick processor. Do you think he can be the exception? Well, to me with Mac Jones, you have to decide one one thing essentially with Mac Jones. Do you believe in today's NFL that it's essential for a quarterback to have second reaction ability? If you believe that to be the case, he's not your guy. If you don't believe that to be true, in other words, you think it's be nice to have, but it's not absolutely essential, then you may believe that you can line up with Mac Jones. Because Mac Jones, first of all, he's 6'2". He does not have a big arm. Um, he's not a very good athlete. Um, he's got no twitch to him whatsoever. Um, <laughs> but there's a lot of positives about his pocket play. He's got a really strong sense of anticipation and timing. He's got a feel for manipulating the defense. He does have just enough pocket movement. He's not quick-footed, but he has just enough pocket movement. He understands zone coverage concepts. He can throw with anticipation into zone windows. As you said, he's very decisive with what I call elimination and isolation. And his ball location is consistently precise. So there's a lot to like about Mac Jones. Look, it's very possible and I, that some people think, and the name I'll throw out is not because he's going to be this guy tomorrow, but there may be some people who think as he plays and matures that he could play the position like a Tom Brady that he's not Tom Brady, but he could play it like that. If you believe that, then he is your guy. So you have to decide what's important to you in today's NFL where so many quarterbacks, obviously not Tom Brady, but the larger, larger majority of quarterbacks seem to have to have some kind of second reaction movement ability. Our guest is uh, Greg Cosell of NFL Films and the, uh, of course, NFL Matchup Show. 
Greg, are, are there any other quarterbacks in this draft that you're looking at that, that, that or you like in the later rounds that people aren't talking about as much as they should be? Well, you know, later round stuff is always becomes a function of so many things. And, you know, you, you guys, we all do this and, you know, we're all on Twitter and, you know, you, you, you all get, you know, we all get ripped by the guys in the basement in their underwear. You know, that's the way it works. <laughs> that's, so, so when you talk about guys who are later round picks, so much becomes a function of where they go, the team that's around them, the scheme that they're asked to run, the coaching staff. Can they be with a coaching staff where they're with the same staff for two, three, four years? So there are so many variables that go way beyond just what the guy is. Because if he's going to be drafted in the later round, he's drafted in the later round because his traits aren't as good. Right? Right. So, so obviously, you know, if a guy's the first, you know, we don't have to worry about Trevor Lawrence's traits. They're pretty good. So, um, so if a guy's drafted in the later round, you start getting into, okay, you know, he's lacking some things, and then you get into other areas. So I'll give you a guy that could easily not make it, but yet he fascinates me, okay? And that's Sam Ellinger from Texas. He's not a classic thrower by any stretch of the imagination. His delivery is a little elongated. He's got a little bit of a wind-up. He drops the ball at times almost to his waist. Um, he causes him to push it at times, so he, he's not what you'd call a natural or a dry-velocity thrower. Um, but So he needs a lot of work on a number of things. Um, and to really have a chance to line up on Sundays, those things would have to improve. Um, but I, the more I watched him, and I watched six full games, because um, I was also watching their left tackle, Samuel Cosme, um, there's something there about this kid. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's Dak Prescott, because Dak Prescott's become a really, really good NFL quarterback, and not just because he signed a big contract. Uh, but Prescott was a fourth-round pick for a reason. No one viewed Prescott as a first-round pick coming out of Mississippi State. And, you know, the more I watched Ellinger, I kept saying to myself, is there something about him that reminds me of Prescott? You know, not not the exact way he plays, but just can this kid be a fifth-round pick and all of a sudden in three years maybe he gets an opportunity to play based on where he is? And so I was I was a little intrigued by him. Plus, I had a chance to meet the kid, and there's – I'm not a believer in it. That's not why guys make throws. But there's something about the kid. And from what you hear from Texas, he's as physical and competitive a kid as you'd ever want to be around. Interesting. You mentioned Dak Prescott. I kind of have a philosophical quarterback question for you because we've really seen it with Josh Allen, too, where these guys have actually gotten more accurate at the NFL level than they were in college. And growing up in the scouting world, that was something that never never happened. That never happens. Is that... All these individual quarterback coaches, has the biomechanics of the world gotten better? Is it scheme? Is it all the above? Or don't we, don't we know that answer? That's a great question, and I don't know if we know the answer. I mean, Prescott had major ball placement issues in Mississippi yeah. State. Clearly, Josh Allen did at, uh, at Wyoming. Um, what Josh Allen has done is, is pretty remarkable. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say he's the most accurate passer now we've ever seen, but he made throws this year that were really degree of difficulty throws with really precise ball placement. Um, Prescott's become a much more accurate thrower in the NFL, uh, and I think that Dak Prescott's a really, really good quarterback. 
you know, it's funny. I'm going to throw this out, and this will come across as bold and controversial, but, you know, it's just it's all based on tape study. I don't make bold and controversial statements. I watch the tape. Somebody asked me, you know, who I thought was, was a better quarterback right now, Russell Wilson or Dak Prescott. And I said Dak Prescott based on tape study. And uh, Dak Prescott is, is playing, and, and it was a shame he got hurt this year, but he was playing at a very, very high level. Uh, so uh, that's a really difficult question to answer sometimes it can be mechanics um i think in josh allen's case mechanics do have a lot to do with it uh but normally you don't see a leap that big even with an improvement in mechanics uh real quick greg you mentioned the uh, the the offensive tackles here this is as deep of an offensive tackle class as i can remember seeing it again i haven't been covering the league as long as you but this is my 28th year I can't recall one that's that's quite as is has the depth in the second and third rounds as this one. Yeah, and and here's the issue, not the issue I have. I mean, you're right about the, the players. Is from watching the NFL as closely as I do every year. You know, watching tape uh, every week, trying to get through as many games as I can every week. Um, there's always talk about well, he's not a tackle; he's a guard. I think we have to stop that because you know not everybody is joe thomas not everybody has really light feet and is a dancing bear you have to line people up a tackle and the game has changed there's a lot more quick game there's a lot more misdirection elements this is not 20 years ago where quarterbacks took seven step drops and tackles had to block great pass rushers for 3.1 3.3 seconds on an island the game has changed um so not everybody you know you look at someone like Jack Conklin, who came out of Michigan State as a top 10 pick in a draft and taking nothing away from Jack Conklin, but he's not a light-footed guy. But he went to Tennessee and they featured the run game. He's in Cleveland, where they feature the run game. And the pass game works off that. And he's a very good tackle. So, you know, I think that all these guys, like you have a kid from Clemson, Jackson Carmen. I'm sure a lot of people will say, well, he should play guard. Well, he probably could play guard, but I think he's a tackle in the NFL, the way the NFL is played today. Um, and the other thing that I will say is I don't think there's a meaningful delineation anymore between right tackle and left tackle. I think that that's an easy thing to say now for people that don't study the NFL in great detail. And to your point, people forget, every Sunday you got to line up 64 tackles on when the whistle starts. Yeah, in correct. Sunday, you know? Correct. Right. And you know what? Not everybody is going to be a great tackle. It just, you know, uh, but, you know, I think that right tackle, left tackle delineation, which for years and years we just threw out there as if it was gospel, I think the way the defense is playing now, I don't think that really matters. Yeah, it, it really doesn't. I mean, T.J. Watt lines up on that side, on the, over on the right side. Von yeah. Miller lines up on the right side. I mean, a lot of teams put their better pass rushers on the quarterbacks. Plus, quarterback can see him coming they still can't get rid of the ball <laughs> and teams move guys around now plus with with the increase in in pressure packages and the increase in sub defenses with five defensive backs six defensive backs on occasion seven defensive backs you've got more speed rushing the quarterback and they don't just say oh the speed can only come from the left side of the offense so you know that delineation to me just doesn't make sense anymore well, Greg, we, we won't keep you any longer. We could talk to you all day long, but uh, we know you got other things to do with it. Uh, our guest has been Greg Cosell of uh, NFL Films and the NFL Matchup. You can check out his work as well at the Fantasy Points, uh, the draft guide that is coming out soon. That's fantasypoints.com. Uh, but we appreciate your time as always, Greg, and hopefully next year we'll get to see you at the Combine. 
I think there'll be a combine next year. I think it uh, seems like we're moving in the right direction, so let's, let's hope that continues to happen. Absolutely. But uh, I've, I've been Dale Lolly. He's Matt Williamson. We want to thank uh, Jacob Breck for keeping us on the air as well, and we want to thank you for listening to this edition of The Drive on Steelers Nation Radio.